Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. got your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting verse 12. We're just going to read our text this morning as we begin. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you, writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and, I have, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your glory, for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Lord, we just so thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your promises are yes and amen, that you are always faithful, Lord, even in the, in the midst of our faithlessness and our frailty, our weakness, Lord, you are always faithful. You are always a rock on which we can stand. And Lord, we just want to stand on the rock of your word this morning, Lord. Lord, may you illuminate it to our hearts and minds, or may it mold us more and more and to the people of God that you've called us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, integrity, integrity is going to be one of the overarching themes of this letter, the integrity of the gospel, the integrity of pastoral ministry, the integrity of the church, and the integrity of the believers there in Corinth. You know, Sadly, it is possible to be a powerful politician in this world today and be a person of no integrity. It's, it's possible to be the best at something. You could be the best brain surgeon in the world and still be a person of no integrity. But it's not possible to be an effective follower of Christ if you lack integrity. Certainly not possible to be a preacher of Christ, to be a preacher of the gospel. If you lack integrity and, and your word cannot be trusted, that our yes might be yes and that our no uh, might be no. Uh, that we are people of the word, of our word, and of the word, the word of God. And you know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And the word was Jesus, who was God's promise of salvation 
to us. In this letter, Paul equates the integrity of our lives to the effectiveness of the witness of the gospel in our lives. He will make some allusions to that in our text today. But, you know, it's, it's always sad, though, and we've seen this a few times now over the, the last couple years, is when you see a pastor fall into sin, high-profile pastor. And, and what, what happens so many times is that in, in, in them falling into sin, they, they wreck the faith of a lot of people who looked up to them as a spiritual father. And we can debate whether those people trusted in, in, in that pastor or trusted in Jesus, but we do know that Paul, the apostle Paul, he never shied away from saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He told that to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, chapter, sorry, chapter 11, verse 1, he said that, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that our lives would reflect the integrity of the gospel message and, be the, and that we'd be the fragrance of Christ to all we come in contact with. He will tell that to them in chapter 2 of his second letter to them. But having said that, the approach of this letter is not necessarily going to be historical, uh, nor is it going to be theological, though Paul's going to drop some amazing theological things on us in this letter. It is going to be biographical. This is Paul's most personal letter. Yes, it's very pastoral in nature, but it was written by a pastor with his heart on his sleeve. Not, not appealing necessarily to his authority as an apostle, but as a brother in the Lord that loves them with all of his life and with all of his heart. Look at his words in chapter 4. If you just turn one page there, Second uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 2, uh, verse 4, he says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This is going to be the tone of Paul's letter to them. But in the midst of all this dysfunction, we're going to see, we, we're going to see Paul not on the defensive, but we're going to see him on the offensive uh, with love, always appealing to the gospel, always pointing people to Jesus, always sharing they're sharing them the, 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 with them the community that we have together in love and life with Jesus at the center. Now, this letter is season two of what it seems like was a made-for-TV, for really, you know, reality show. Uh, but if you were with us in season one, as we looked at Paul's letter to the first, uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, you would have seen that there was kind of no contrived drama or exaggerated or manufactured conflict to boost the ratings. No, this was a dysfunctional church with real problems that Paul, who started the church, he, he had to deal with. He was their pastor. There was nothing sensationalized at all. A lot of letters were going back and forth and accusations, excommunications, self-aggrandizing. This show would have done really well on Netflix today. But uh, if you were with us in that series, you know that we learned a lot of valuable lessons as Paul so lovingly and graciously but firmly laid out a plethora of gospel principles for our application today. But now here, we are in season two, and there are still some issues that need to be dealt with, some story arcs that have yet to be resolved since season one ended. Now, if you were new here at Whitefields and you want to get 
caught up, involved with the drama, then I highly recommend that you listen to the sermons from, from 1 Corinthians. At least read through the book uh, of the letter of 1 Corinthians, all free of charge, of course. You can find it up on our website. Get caught up with season one. And then season two in 2 Corinthians is going to come alive even that much more for you. Now, for all of us who are caught up, for us, I, I recommend that you read ahead. Read ahead, read the whole letter, even a few times. You know, maybe once a week as we're going through uh, this series together. And you'll get so much more out of the studies here on Sunday morning. You know, you, know, you hate it you know, when you miss an episode of your favorite TV show or you, you jump halfway in through a season. You know, it takes a while to, you know, to get caught up, to make sense, uh, you know, to understand the plot lines and the characters. So read ahead, get acquainted with this letter, and you'll be that much more edified with, by God's word when we go through it here on Sunday morning. So, so the title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is this. In Jesus, God's promise is yes and amen. In Jesus, God's promises are yes and amen. And we're going to look at five points today, and they're going to be in the form of five questions. And the first is, who are you boasting about? The second is going to be, is your conscience clear? Second, uh, third, have you said yes and amen? And fourth, have you been sealed for eternity? And last, are you part of the church? So our first, who are you boasting about? So we draw our first point from verse 12. Paul, Paul says there in verse 12, for our boast is this. For our boast is this. And I just wanted to focus a bit on that, on that word boast because this is also... It's one of those larger arcing themes in in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And one of Paul's objections in the first letter is that they were boasting in or boasting about the wrong things. They boasted about their status in the church. They boasted about spiritual gifts. They, They boasted about who was the most spiritual among them. And now in here in the second letter, which we're just starting into, Paul is going to again object to their boasting because they really hadn't learned anything. Now they were boasting in oratory skills or they were boasting in reputation or they were boasting in physical stature. You know, Paul's going to tell them there in chapter 11 of the second letter, he's going to say, if I must boast, if I, Paul, must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He had told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And he had taken that, of course, from Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his mind. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So this is the foundational and biblical understanding of boasting that Paul wants to lay out for them, and of course, for us as well. If you're, if you're boasting, you should be boasting in the Lord. Now, another way to understand this idea of boasting is proud confidence. Proud confidence. Maybe some of your translations actually use those, those words, proud confidence. And that doesn't mean I can't boast about my children if they do something amazing, or I boast about my spouse because they can cook well, or they can fix well, or they do something really, really well. No, that's not the kind of boasting that Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about boasting that is self-centered. And in the context of his letters to the Corinthians, it is taking credit for things that only God can do. 
and has done. Paul spends half of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians explaining to them the futility of their strength and wisdom in light of all all who God is. And it culminates in verse 29 when he says these words. He says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. How much clearer is that? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. But in their pride and to their shame, they had not followed this biblical instruction. And it had caused issues in the church. This misplaced pride was, was due in large part to the influence of these false apostles or super apostles, as Paul is going to refer to them, who brought a different gospel, a different Jesus. We're, not going, we're going to learn about them later on in, in the series. So these super apostles, they had caused the Corinthians to question the integrity of their founding pastor, the one who had brought them. He had brought them the gospel of truth. truth. He had introduced them to Jesus in the first place. So who should we be boasting about? Well, we should be boasting about Jesus and what he has done in our lives, finding his strength in our weakness, relying on him, turning to him, clinging to him, realizing that we, we are the foolish in this world that he will use to shame the wise. Paul said, I will boast in my weakness because in our weakness, we are made strong through our dependence on Jesus for all things. So this kind of boasting, I think, is this idea is pretty obvious to us. Boast in the Lord, boast in Jesus. But I want you to notice another way that Paul boasts or has proud confidence in, and that is the body of Christ, the church. We read there in verse 14, it says, Verse 14, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Now, this is also a common theme with Paul, not only boasting in the Lord, but boasting in his church, in God's church, in God, in, in the body of Christ. And in chapter 7, we will read that he boasted to Titus about the church in Corinth. We can find this in many of Paul's letters as he is writing to the Galatians, to the Colossians, to, to Timothy, to, to the Ephesians. Paul loved to boast to others about what God was doing in his church. He understood that God gave us the church and loved to tell people all that God was doing through the body, warts and all. You know, I think this is a great lesson for us today. In a day and age where the critics, the churches where critics are many times Christians themselves. I think we need to start boasting about what God is doing in his church. You know, the church in Corinth was not going to be winning any awards for Church of the Year anytime soon, but yet Paul found it in himself to boast about them wherever he went. I think it's a challenge to us today to think like this one. You know, when I travel, I love telling people about what God is doing in this church, Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. I love to, anybody to listen. I'll tell them what God is doing here in this church. I boast about you guys all the time, and I know that Pastor Nick does as well. I love, I love what this church has been doing and has done in the past few months over in Ukraine in supporting what, our work over there amongst the refugees. And not only our church, but the global church, where how God is using and connecting the global church to do the work of the ministry, to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus to those refugees every single day. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing testimony to the power of our God. Boast in the Lord. Boast in his church. Boast in his body. But specifically now, what was, what was 
Paul boasting in the Lord in? What was it? What specifically, which brings to our, our second point here, is your conscience clear? Paul says there in verse 12 and, and 13 going on, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. So here we see Paul put forth his integrity as evidence that his change of plans were not because he was a deceitful or duplicitous person, that his word was true and upright, not because he was a great man, but because of the grace of God. His conscience was clear before them and before God. In verse 23, he even uses stronger language uh, to validate his integrity before them, calling on God to witness against him if he was not walking upright before them. Paul said to them, we're not writing one thing and meaning another. There's no reading between the lines. You don't have to decipher what we're saying to you. We're clear. Obviously, through the influence of these super apostles, there were some of the church who had now questioned Paul's motives, his intentions, even his sincerity towards them. Paul says, my conscience is clear before you and God that those accusations, they are not true. Now, as we end this chapter and we get into chapter 2, we'll see, we'll see the reason why Paul did not come to Corinth as he had promised. And they were very legitimate reasons. So why didn't he just kind of start the letter that way? Why didn't he just kind of start the conversation that way? Just get it out of the way. This is why I didn't come and kind of move on to other business. Well, because as we'll see in our text, there were greater issues at stake here. There were some foundational things that Paul needed to address. And one of these issues, one of these issues was that Paul had nothing to hide and he needed to address some of these things head on. Paul reassures them, I'm not a duplicitous person, but he is all always and, 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 and serve them in simplicity and in sincerity. And they have witnessed this. So it wasn't something new. He was their pastor. He had lived there for 18 months. They knew who he was. He had no hidden agenda. It would seem, though, in Paul's absence that certain spiritual leaders had, had arisen who did manipulate people. They did steal from the church. They did say one thing and do another. And you get the sense that the Korean church, uh, Korean, Corinthian church was a bit jaded, you know, and Paul was bearing the brunt of that. Paul said, my conscience is clear. He says there in verse 17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Was I vacillating? There's a great word for you if you're taking notes. A good word for you today. Husbands, you can use it Sunday mornings when wife doesn't know what to wear so, honey, stop vacillating. Stop vacillating. When you're out with friends, maybe, can't decide what restaurant to go to, what coffee to drink. Stop vacillating. Stop being indecisive. That's what the word means. In some translations, it adds the idea of take, take a decision lightly. Paul's point is, I don't take these things lightly. I'm not indecisive about coming to minister the gospel to you. I don't make these plans in the flesh. You don't have to read between the lines. Just as God is faithful and is fulfilling his promises, as a messenger of the gospel, I am faithful to fulfill mine. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is raising the standard for those who call themselves servants of God. Paul is telling him, you should be able to trust those 
who speak for God, who minister in his name. Don't become jaded and cynical in these things. As God is faithful, but through his grace and in his strength, I will be faithful to you in word and deed. My conscience is clear. Now, a couple things before we move on. First of all, the question, question for us today, for all of us is, is your conscience clear before God and before, before the church? Is your conscience clear? If the answer is yes, then praise the Lord. We rejoice together. If the answer is no, then maybe, you know, you need to do business with God this week and with people this week. You know, take care of those kind of things because walking integrity and an uprightness should be a hallmark of every follower of Christ. Your character does matter. It does matter. Well, I can't be perfect, you might say. You know, I'm only human. I make mistakes, right? Those are all legitimate pushback. But you must know the character and integrity are the result of walking with God and walking with people. In the course of that journey, when we stumble and fall, and we do stumble and fall, when we fail in humbleness, we seek forgiveness from those we have wronged, from God and then from people. It's in those times of humbleness and weakness, that is when our character is formed, Character and integrity, they're not formed in the easy days when everything's great, everything's hunky-dory, you know, life is good and grand. As Paul told the Romans, Romans 5, 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul's not boasting in his own ability to to walk uprightly, but in the grace of God and the faithfulness of God to lead him on the path of righteousness. Paul is fully aware of his weakness and his failures. But a great place to start, uh, if you want to start on the road to to a clear conscience, Galatians 5.16. Walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And our weakness Submitting to the strength of his spirit working in and through us. Is your conscience clear today? Before we move on, I wanted to share an interesting thought I learned while studying this this week. And the course of my study, I, I, uh, this Bible teacher made this interesting statement. He said, the highest human court is our conscience. The highest human court is our conscience. I thought, "Hmm, tell me more. That sounds very interesting. You will need to explain this to me. And uh, the example that he gave was this. You can be found found innocent by the the highest court in the land. Your case could go before the Supreme Court and you could be found innocent of the charge against you. But if you know that in in your heart of hearts that you are not innocent, but you are in fact guilty, that you got up because of some kind of technicality or you got up because there was not enough evidence to convict, your conscience will convict you. Your conscience will not let you walk in freedom. It will condemn you. I've heard many stories, maybe you've heard of them over the years, of people who have turned themselves in or told somebody at a bar or someone close to them of their crime because their conscience continued to accuse them, to bring accusation against them for their crimes. In fact, in 2018, a man walked into a police station in Kelso County in Washington State and confessed to a murder from 1986. There was no evidence, nothing, cold case. 
And his reason was he could not live with his conscience. Paul said, my conscience is clear before God and man. He says, my yes is yes because I, I have been established in God and our message to you, the gospel has been established in God. And because his yes is always yes, so our yes is yes to you in this matter. We read there in verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him is always yes. And this brings us to our third point and our third question. Have you said yes and amen? Have you said yes and amen? This is one of my favorite verses, verse 20. You know, when, I, when I'm in doubt, when, when I'm not sure of my bearings and when maybe the world is bearing down on me, I, I, I come to these verses and I, kind of, I find a foothold, a foundation, a cornerstone, if you will, a rock in the midst of that storm. Verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. They find their yes in him being Jesus. God is faithful. His word is faithful. His love is assured. Romans 8.32 is marvelous. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Rhetorical question from Paul. God's faithfulness has been on display in the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's yes to the world. Now, many people say, well, Christianity, you know, they see Christianity as a no. No, the no religion. No to my choices in life. No to the pleasures of life. No no to my control, uh, to me trying to control my life. No to my lifestyle. No, you know, rules and regulations. No to this and, and no to that. But we know that in Jesus, God's promises are yes and Amen. Jesus is the yes to all the the prophecies and the predictions of the Old Testament. All the shadows and all the types, all those promises are fulfilled once and for all in Jesus. The hope of the Gentiles, as Matthew 12 tells us, and the consolation of Israel, as Luke chapter 2 tells us. Jesus is God's yes to the promise in Genesis that one will come to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the ark that provides salvation to all that find refuge in him. Jesus is God's promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. Jesus is the beloved son that was not spared like Isaac was, but was delivered up for our salvation. Jesus is a greater Moses. He's a greater mediator, the greater priest, the greater king. Jesus is the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. Jesus is the true manna that satisfies our hungry hearts, the bread of life. Jesus is the water from the rock that quenches our thirst. He is the true Sabbath, our true resting place. He is the ultimate temple and tabernacle that gives us access to God. Jesus is the, he is the better Joshua that will take us to a better promised land, a new heaven and a new earth. He is the greater Elijah and Elisha who can raise the dead with the power of his word. He is Isaiah's Emmanuel, God's chosen servant who will not break the bruised reed, but will restore it so that it bears much fruit. He's also Isaiah's suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Jesus is the great 
and bright morning star who will come again to dispel the darkness, who will wipe away tears from our face. All God's promises find their yes in him today. Jesus is the only yes. He is the only way, the only life, the only truth. None come to the Father but through him. Can you come to the throne room of grace today in your time of need? Yes. Is the promise of salvation to all who believe on his name for you today? Yes. Can you find forgiveness of sin in Jesus today? Yes. Is the promise of reconciliation reconciliation with God through Christ for you today? Yes. The promise of eternal life? Yes. The promise of a new body? Yes. The promise of a place where there'll be no more tears and no more sadness? Yes. Yes. And yes. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Have you said yes to him today? Have you said yes to the promises of God for you in Christ? Yes, Lord, I deserved the punishment of sin, but you bore that judgment in my place. Lord, have your way in my life. In my weakness, be my strength. And to this we say, amen. The word amen means to express solemn ratification or, or, or agreement. It means so be it, so be it, so be it in my life, Lord. We say a heartfelt yes to all that you have done for us in Christ. The promise is fulfilled on our behalf. And we say yes, amen, so be it in my life. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing. Always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Lord, we utter our amen to you today. If you have said if we have said our yes and uttered our amen to his promises in Christ, and the answer to the next question, our fourth point, is already yes. Have you been sealed for eternity? We read there in verse 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So if we have said yes and amen to God today, then he has put his seal on you. You are his, and he has given you his spirit in your heart as a guarantee. The Corinthians would have known very well what it meant to be sealed, because in the ancient world, a seal was used to to identify and to protect. If something was sealed, and you've seen it in the movies or something where that soft wax and the ring is pressed into it, everyone knew who, who it belonged to because that seal had an insignia. And the seal prevented anyone from tampering with that item, that letter. And the Holy Spirit is upon us to identify us as gods and to protect us. This is one of those grand truths and promises in the Bible. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 1:13 in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him you were sealed with the promised holy spirit. He also told Timothy but but God's but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. This is what happens when you say yes to God. Immediately he says, you are mine. 
You are mine and you are marked, sealed as belonging to God. God made this promise that we stand in today. He also made it to the Israelites in the Old Testament. And he said in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. God says to us today, you are my people and I am your God, sealed and protected. And we've been given the spirit as a guarantee. And what does that mean? Well, the word guarantee means down payment. Well, down payment of what? A down payment of our eternal inheritance, a down payment of our internal inheritance. And that reminds us that this world is not our home. We are just sojourners passing through. We are traveling. And as we are traveling, God has put a seal of protection and ownership on us, you know, until we reach our final destination face to face with our creator in heaven. This life in Christ is but a down payment. These few years that we get to serve God are but a down payment on what awaits us in heaven. This is a promise that I certainly look forward to. And until that day comes, God has given us a community to walk with. So if you have said yes and amen to the promises of God, which means you have been sealed and have been filled with his spirit as a guarantee, then you already know the answer to our fifth and final point. Are you part of the church. And finally, here as we conclude this section, Paul gives them the reason why he did not come to them as he had promised. He gives it to us there uh, in verse 23. For I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for, your, for you stand firm in your faith. Now, we're not going to go into detail into this, but we're saving that more for next week. But I just want to give you a preview. And the reason Paul did not go to Corinth when he had planned is because he did not want to come to them as a disciplinarian. If you remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 21, Paul had asked, what do you wish? Shall I come with a rod or with, with love and a spirit of gentleness? And as we saw in our text today, Paul had planned to make a second stop in Corinth on his way back from Macedonia, but it seems that his first trip there to Corinth did not go very well for reasons that we've already looked into today. It seems that it was a trip that was full of confrontation. And because of that, Paul had decided not to make a return visit because he felt that he would be bringing that rod of discipline and not a spirit of gentleness. He wanted to give the Corinthians time to work through their issues and repent. He didn't want to lord over their faith. He, he wanted them to work out their issues in fear and trembling before their God. He wanted to come when they could work together and not work against each other. And I think this reveals a lot to us about Paul's heart, his, his heart as a pastor, but also as a fellow believer. I think we can learn a couple things here as we close uh, this morning. Number one, pastors are not here to lord over your faith. We're not special mediators between you and God. We're not closer to heaven than you, though I am standing on a stage. But um, we don't have any special revelation or, you know, have God on speed dial or anything like that. You know, we're, if anything, we're here to serve 
you in the, in your, serve your faith in a spirit of humbleness and gentleness and grace. We don't have any spiritual authority over you in that way. We'll, we'll, we'll teach the word. We'll share counsel with you from the word. We'll pray the word over you. We'll, we'll sing the word together. We'll, we'll encourage you to read the word. And then we'll point you ultimately to the word, Jesus. We're not here to lord over your faith, to play on your emotions, to guilt you into serving or into to giving or speak extra biblical things into your life. Secondly, we are called to work with you, not against you, not stand over you, to work with you for your joy. Paul understood and is teaching us that God has given us the church, the body of Christ, for our mutual benefit to help us all stand firm in our faith. Each of us in this room today is part of that body, working together for the glory of God, not the glory of individual members. This had been a problem there in Corinth with some of those super apostles who were lording over. There was spiritual abuse, manipulating the faith of those in the church for their own personal gain and glory. And Paul says, we stand with you, not over you. We don't boast in anything but in the Lord. The testimony of our conscience is clean, not because of our perfection, but because of God's grace in our lives and because he said yes to us first and has sealed us with his spirit as a guarantee. We have no reputation to stand on today but that of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the promises of God are yes and amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for those promises that in you, Lord, your promise is always yes and amen, Lord. We just heard so much today just about your faithfulness, Lord, your love never fails. And Lord, we just want to say yes and amen, Lord. So be it in our lives, Lord. We want to respond. And if there's some today, Lord, that need to, Lord, respond to you, Lord, I just pray they would say yes to you. And then as you do that, Lord, you would just fill them with your spirit as a guarantee, as a seal. They will be sealed for eternity. And Lord, become part of the church of God, the body of Christ. Lord, we rejoice in all that you're doing in and through us. Lord, we have so much to boast about, Lord. Lord, you are so amazing. And Lord, you choose to use us as your hands and feet. And so we give you glory. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.